Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 104. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration create electrolyte supplements that you can match to how you sweat because there are large individual differences in how much sodium you lose in your sweat and also in how much you sweat period compared to somebody else. That means that in total, the replenishment needs for sodium in particular, but also other electrolytes uh, can vary drastically from one person to the next. And Precision Hydration help you solve that issue. They have a free online sweat test that will give you most a great ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat. And that can then be used to tailor your hydration strategy for you by buying a medium or high or low sodium concentrate electrolyte supplement. You can get 15% off your order with the promo code DETTRIATHLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskin, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. They're one of the most innovative companies in the endurance sports industry. They have come up with uh, technologies such as the arms up technologies, a technology available in all of their wetsuits and trisuits to help you have maximum maximum shoulder mobility during your swimming the exoskeleton that helps you maximize the use of your core in your swimming that they have in the new Maverick X2 wetsuit and the Geco anti-slip technology that uh, prevents any of their glasses from falling off of your face. You can get 20% off your Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now on to the first question from today, which is from Bento, who writes, Hi, Michael, I'm riding from Brazil. Love your work. I have used your training plans for sprint and half Ironman with great success. Podium in the half Ironman and several first places in the sprint races. My question is, you and several of your interviewees have said that volume in zone two is important, but running slow is difficult. What about walking fast? I have built a good volume this year. And my goal is to get to around 500 total training hours. And these total hours include quick walks in high zone one or low zone two heart rate. Every week, I also do a tempo session, a long run and hill repeats. Also do, I also do bike workouts and strength workouts. Uh, the walking has been great to get volume in and at the same time allow me to recover. Am I, am I fooling myself though in counting these walks as uh, hours counting to my training volume? Uh, I have felt great progress on my runs and my Garmin VO2 max has increased. Thanks and keep up the good work, Bento. All right, thank you, Bento, for your question. And also thank you for the great feedback on the training plans. The first thing I should say is that if you are progressing, which you're saying that you are, and you're noticing an increased run performance, then that's a great argument for keeping these fast walks in there. Uh, so... I, I should say, though, that when assessing your progress, you should rely primarily on your performance in whether it's in workouts or in training. Uh, so objective performance measures like how fast you run a specific set of intervals or a specific tempo run or something like that. The Garmin VO2 Max, I wouldn't put a great deal of stock into. So, so I would skip that. But if you are noticing progress, 
in training or in racing then that's that's the way it is then that's perfect uh, and if you are noticing this let's assume that you are then keep doing what's working for you because ultimately ultimately we have to remember that we are all an experiment of n equals one and best practices and generally sound advice is great as a starting point but uh, we also should be individually optimizing our training to what really seems to be working for us and that is that is the end point we want to get to to get the most out of ourselves as athletes that is also why i always stress the importance when using any training plans including scientific triathlon training plans that they should not be taken as gospel they are great for a typical user they are great starting points but they work the absolute best when the user does adapt things to suit them the best so based on things like previous experience and so on and it sounds like this is exactly what you're doing so that's great so my individual advice to you is as long as it's working as long as you feel improvement keep doing it keep having those walks in there and uh, let you say that you get your heart rate to high zone one low, low, low zone two so that's perfect and uh, you can also i think for listeners generally speaking getting heart, your heart rate to 60 to 65 percent of of your maximum then it definitely has the kind of cardiovascular response that you would like to have from an from an easy run and uh, that seems to be the case for you so so absolutely absolutely perfect one thing i will say on walking is that i think that the best form of quote-unquote walking as a substitute for running would actually be to hike on hilly trails or hilly terrain because then you can get all of the same cardiovascular benefits uh, i just mentioned with the same heart rate response but you would also stress the muscles more with a stronger strength component when going uphill without increasing the impact and uh, that's that's great you get a specific muscle muscular training but you also don't increase the risk of overloading the bones tendons and ligaments too much in addition what goes up must come down so when you are going downhill hiking downhill then this is fantastic eccentric training for your running muscles and running is a sport that has high eccentric demands uh, in particular eccentric hamstring strength is something most of us including myself could benefit from having more of both for performance and injury prevention reasons so so if you can use, do your walks as hikes in hilly terrain that would be fantastic now if i answer your question from a more general perspective uh, I, without knowing in advance that okay it seems that you're clearly benefiting but somebody that might want to try this but we don't know if they will benefit or not i would say in this situation that i think walking is really great for somebody who is brand new to running uh, and with a beginner level fitness in for this athlete fast walking that gets the heart rate up to the right level can form a reasonably big chunk of their run training for a good while because you will get that cardiovascular stimulus we're after but without overloading the bones tendons and ligaments you will give them time to build up over time and uh, yeah you'll lose some of the hardships of running and you can slowly build up how much of your running is actual running and make sure that you don't injure yourself in the process but uh, what we must remember is that walking is not the same as slow running even if you get the same heart rate response biomechanically it's quite different actually so just like even a world-class cyclist 
cannot just expect to be a great runner uh, despite having an amazing engine we must do specific training for the actual movement patterns of running and the only way to do that is to actually run so as i said we need to gradually build up if we're new to running of course and uh, and we can wherever we are in terms of how much we're running if we want to increase the running volume it, it's always the same thing you need to be careful when increasing your running volume and do it very gradually over time but uh, yeah for beginner runners we we need to we, need, we still need to have that running in there i think you cannot just do walking and expect to get much better at, at running if you are already doing most of your runs as actual running which you are bento then the question isn't really about replacing all runs per week with walking uh, it really is about the question is more about is it okay to replace the lower intensity the, the very easy runs that are zone one or zone two runs uh, with with walking my, my general answer to that question would be to as far as possible keep running rather than walking maybe doing run walks actually could be a good compromise so for example four minutes of running one minute of walking because then you practice the specific movements of running and doing those movements efficiently at a low intensity and becoming more and more efficient at that gradually you will be your heart rate will be getting lower for for that same same pace uh, if it's difficult to run slow enough uh, for a heart for your heart rate to be reasonably low then that is a situation when run walks can be really great because then you can get your heart rate down during the walking segments and uh, but another thing or other things that you should do would be to just try to minimize the factors that drive up your heart rate so choose to run on flat courses for those runs where you want to keep heart rate down choose to run when the temperature is not too hot so whether it's early in the morning or later in the evening do those sorts of things uh, in theory you could argue that low intensity cycling would have the same benefit for running as fast walking would because you can also get your heart rate to the exact same level with low intensity cycling and since the movement patterns are so different between running and walking anyway it doesn't really matter if you get in your aerobic cardiovascular training through walking or through cycling except that it does matter if you are a triathlete because then the cycling training will be specific for the bike so doing more of this aerobic training on the bike would have crossover effects to running just like walking would but it would also be specific training for improving the bike so same benefits on the run more benefits on the bike compared to walking so that's another thing to consider finally i want to talk a little bit about uh, how heart rate isn't everything when we determine whether we're running easy enough or not so if you genuinely feel that you're running at a pace you could hold for several hours without slowing down and if you can talk in complete sentences without huffing and puffing then your low intensity probably is low intensity even though heart rate is higher than you think it should be and there are many potential reasons for this for example if you're not the most economical runner then you may be using a lot of muscle mass for example muscle mass in your upper body which then drives up oxygen demand and heart rate goes up a lot and this is something that you might see in running but not in cycling because in cycling you're stationary on the bike and only using your legs in a pretty economical manner and that but if this happens to you you're not the most economical runner and your heart rate goes up it doesn't mean you're running too hard it's only too hard if you are running so hard that uh, your lactate 
is also higher than it should be. That's really the the crux of it. So heart rate, of course, we use that as a proxy for lactate, just like we can use pace as a proxy for lactate or proxy for intensity, really. But but the best way to measure it, what's happening physiologically, is by using actual lactate. And and this is where it can get confusing because if you are, as I said, less economical, then your heart rate might be a lot higher than somebody who's more economical. But in terms of lactate, you might be producing the same amount as the other runner. It's just that they're using less muscle mass uh, because they are that much more economical than you are. So, so that's one thing to consider. And maybe if this applies to you, that your heart rate goes up very easily, even though it feels like you could hold that for uh, several hours, that same pace, then consider getting a lactate test done and they'll give you individualized heart rate zones uh, for your lactate response. Because standardized formulas may not work well for you for running, and that's something to be aware of, that the standard heart rate formulas, heart rate zones for running have a more have a greater tendency to be not correct uh, for the individual compared to cycling again because of that individual difference in economy which is much much smaller in cycling the other thing you can do is to simply do the torque test when running at low intensity so this has been validated by research studies that uh, your the torque test can be used to make sure that your low intensity remains low intensity even at uh, an underlying physiological level so in the study by carl foster for example the subjects were asked to uh, read or to speak the pledge of allegiance out loud without huffing and puffing but you can really just choose anything that has some normal sentence length to validate whether you're getting the intensity right so if you combine doing this talk test during your easy runs with which checks that cardiovascularly you're not running too hard with assessing your rpe so making sure that it feels like you could sustain that intensity for uh, for a long 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 time then this would give you a really good indication of if the intensity is correct or not even though heart rate may look to be too high at face value again there are possible explanations for this so it may not be and just to reiterate, even though I said my general advice was to mostly prefer running to walking and maybe some run walks, because it is working well for you, specifically Bento, and you are improving, I would not recommend changing things. Just keep it as is as long as you're improving. Uh, one more important takeaway that I want to just uh, reiterate here. I do think that hiking is excellent cross-training for triathlon. And crossing over not just to running, but to cycling as well with that muscular component and strength component to it. So especially in the early base training part of the year, long hikes rather than long runs can be a really smart thing to add to a schedule, a training schedule that is. So I hope this helps. Thank you, Bento, for your question. The next question is from Mikaela in Stockholm, Sweden, who writes, Hi, Michael. Thank you for an excellent podcast. You're doing a great job staying on top of research and presenting things in a nuanced way. It is by far the podcast I recommended to most people. Thank you for that, Michaela. I am a 30-year-old female triathlete training for long distance. My question concerns periodization over the course of a training year and where to put my focus. I have done several lab tests uh, for my VO2 max and my thresholds. My VO2 max is 72 and my anaerobic threshold is 260 watts or 4.3 watts per kilogram. 
the analysis that I got is that my thresholds in cycling as well as running are underdeveloped compared to the VO2 max. I'm still in relation to my aerobic capacity to my VO2 max. I'm still quite slow, both at threshold pace and at race pace. This is especially prevalent in running. To give a benchmark, my 10 kilometer race time is about 40 minutes, which is very slow compared to what a female runner with my VO2 max would usually manage. It's not that I am an exceptional sprinter either that can hold on to speed, to high speed for longer durations. In fact, my top speed is quite low. I just don't seem to be able to use my entire engine, so to speak. How should I go about structuring my training year to get the most return on investment? On the one hand, my lack of speed might call for a polarized approach with lots of top-end work, coupled with low intensity volume during the base phase. On the other hand, since uh, VO2 is not the limiter in my case, I might be better off with a large block of threshold and sweet spot training, uh, also far away from the race season. The challenge with this latter approach for me is that I usually build up quite a lot of fatigue after several weeks of zone 3 and zone 4 work. It might not be sustainable to put a lot of emphasis on this uh, during the base phase, on this both during the base phase and in the race-specific phase come spring. To sum up, I suspect I need to improve my economy and or the percentage uh, or the fraction of fractional utilization, the percentage of VO2 max that I can hold over time. The question is what strategy is most likely to be successful in this aspect. For context, I had three years of experience in triathlon, but some more in endurance sports and train about 18 to 20 hours per week. I would really appreciate your input on this. Keep up the good work with the podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Michaela. That is a a great question. Very interesting one. Quite long, but I read it all because I do think that all the context and details here are quite important in answering this question. So to give some context to the listeners, for a female triathlete, a VO2 max, or a female any athlete, a VO2 max of 72 is absolute world class. And 260 watts or 4.3 watts per kilogram for your threshold on the bike is also, it's outstanding, uh, although you are absolutely right in saying that it seems to be low compared to your VO2 max. And the 40-minute 10K is definitely uh, an example that shows this very, very clearly. That is very low compared to your VO2 max. But in a way, you can see it as a positive because it means that there's plenty of room for improvement. Uh, The VO2 max is basically the ceiling for your uh, potential performance. Uh, It's your aerobic capacity. And your ceiling is very, very high indeed. So... You mentioned there your lack of speed and speed is always a tricky term because it's not always clear what one person means with speed can be doing eight minute intervals or five minute intervals, which really isn't speed. Uh, what, what I think of as speed is like a 100 meter sprint and, uh, or maybe a 200 meter sprint, although a 200 meter sprint is also quite a lot about the, uh, really the glycolytic capacity. So, uh, so really speed is something that is very short measured in a few seconds, certainly less than 30 seconds. Uh, so, so I think that speed isn't something that you need to you you really need to concern yourself with because you don't need great speed to be a great long distance triathlete uh, that's that's definitely not not a concern for you 
And speed, in particular on the run, also has so much to do with biomechanics uh, and strength. So, so it's not just uh, th- that's not a reflection of uh, really what your metabolic training should should look like. Although it it might have implications for some other parts of your training, including your your strength training. So, so all that to say is your lack of speed, as you perceive it, and I don't know again if you're talking about ten seconds or four minutes or whatever it may be i'm assuming it's on the shorter end like 10 seconds 20 seconds 30 seconds maybe that's not a sign that you're not using your your engine and that's not uh, yeah so, so that's not it because it's really got nothing to do with your vo2 max but uh, what your high vo2 max shows us is simply that you have a massive aerobic engine what we don't know uh, although we can take a guess is how efficiently you are using that engine and uh, well that guess is obviously that you are not using it very efficiently uh, which could have a number of different explanations so for example it could be that your economy isn't very good as you suggest so that would mean that you need more oxygen to go the same speed as athletes that are more economical than you so you end up wasting a lot of uh, the potential in your engine and related to this, it would actually be interesting to know what your MAP, your maximum uh, aerobic power, or your MAV, maximum aerobic velocity, which is usually measured as the last minute of an incremental test during which you, you assess your, your VO2 max. But that it would be interesting to know that in relation to, your, uh, uh, to, to how economical you might be, at least in terms of the high power output and how high speed outputs. But uh, another possible possible explanation for the fact that you're not uh, good at the sub-maximal work or can sustain a high percentage of VO2 max, can't run that fast in a 10k and so on, is that you could have a high percentage of fast twitch fibers, even though uh, you say that you are no sprinter. But the reason I'm thinking that this might be an explanation is that maybe you are using your fast twitch fiber oxidatively which you can with the type 2a fast twitch fibers after appropriate training but these fibers might not be very fatigue resistant for you so you can produce massive vo2 values use a lot of oxygen uh, take up a lot of oxygen into your muscles in a short graded exercise test which is over in 10 minutes or 12 minutes or something when you have your full pool of muscle fibers available to you but in a 10k maybe a large part of those two type 2a fibers uh, end up fatiguing very quickly way before the end of the race so you're not able to go as fast because then uh, later on in the race you're stuck with just your slow twitch fibers and that relatively large pool of type 2a fibers that you might be using just aren't able to to keep up with the demand they're tired because they're not they're not as uh, fatigue resistant as the slow twitch fibers it could even be that you are in fact not using your fast twitch fibers oxidatively but rather that they are strongly glycolytic so they produce energy from glycolysis uh, anaerobically and you end up accumulating lactate and uh, correlated to that uh, accumulating uh, acidosis and fatigue so Strongly glycolytic athletes would normally be expected to maybe be good sprinters. So if you are by speed referring to sprinting, then this explanation goes a bit against what you're saying, that you don't have top-end speed. But uh, in running at least, the possible uh, the possible counter-argument for this would be that maybe you are very glycolytic, 
despite not being a good sprinter simply because sprinting is about much much more than metabolism again so much is biomechanics and so much is uh, strength actually and and even things like you know the the elasticity of uh, of of your tendons in your calf muscles and so on all play a part but uh, to to answer the question on how to go about structuring a training year to get the most return on training investment uh, th- that is a very complex question that is really impossible to to answer in an entire year of training prioritization really with the information i have here and it's something that really it takes a coaching relationship to optimize the training year uh, and uh, and even then parts of the optimization are always going to be simply educated guesses that's the nature of endurance sports and endurance coaching and coaching in any field really but as much much as this may sound like a or be a cop-out to answer your question i think that with the engine that you have with a vo2 max of 72 you you really should get a great great coach because you have the potential to be an absolute world-class athlete so my number one piece of advice if you take nothing else away from this question get a great coach Uh, that is the number one way that you can get the most out of your training and optimize your training year but uh, let's uh, be a bit specific because there are some parts of your question that i can answer or make suggestions for and that is that just looking at uh, your the, the perspective that you mentioned about choosing between focusing more on a polarized training approach with a lot of low intensity training and some very high intensity training versus a more pyramidal approach with a fair amount of work at kind of the mid zones zone three zone four tempo or threshold type of workouts uh, this is where uh, i think i can give some advice and some suggestions and as you say and as we've talked about your vo2 max is already very very high this is not and will never be your limiter never ever it's it's high enough to to win the the most competitive races really uh, it doesn't mean that you never should do high intensity intervals because they are useful for other things than raising your vo2 max too but it probably means that you won't need to put a massive focus on high intensity intervals if we look at what your limiters are it is definitely your ability to sustain a high fractional utilization or a high percentage of vo2 max so in other words we need to move your threshold uh, both your anaerobic and your aerobic threshold closer to your vo2 max and i speculated earlier about a few possible reasons for why they might be far away and why you can't have a high fractional utilization the reality is that we don't really need to know the exact reason to know that this is the limiter and we already and we can also have a good idea of how to tackle this limiter so what you should be training is the ability to sustain a relatively high percentage of vo2 max for longer and longer durations and this type of training can be tempo training sweet spot training threshold training they are all doing a lot of overlapping things for you at slightly different points on the intensity duration spectrum Uh, so uh, i would argue that as a long distance athlete you should also put a big big emphasis on improving your aerobic threshold or your lt1 which is usually at around the top end of your zone two so below lt1 is kind of the low intensity zone and for ironman racing in particular it would be even more important to raise your aerobic threshold as a percentage of vo2 max rather than the anaerobic threshold because your aerobic threshold is so much is closer to race pace so i would suggest doing a lot of lt1 training and uh, so that can be as a good estimate 75 percent of max heart rate is, is a good place to start 
And uh, this may not be a challenge in power when you do it or pace when you do it. Let's use the bike as an example. For two hours, maybe it's, or one and a half hours is maybe not challenging, but can you do it for four hours? Well, how does it feel in the fifth hour? Uh, so that's, th- those are the kinds of workouts that really are quite low intensity, but uh, can get quite tough towards the end when you build up the duration at them. Another argument for doing a lot of aerobic threshold training is what you say yourself, that you build up a lot of fatigue after a few weeks of lots of zone three and zone four, four training. So the solution is don't do lots of zone three and zone four training. Do just enough that you don't build up fatigue, that you can keep doing it consistently week after week, but supplement with quite a reasonable amount of LT1 training because that too can have overlapping effect. That too is just uh, something that has overlapping effects at a different point on the duration intensity spectrum with a lower intensity than the zone three and zone four, but you can do that for a longer duration. So lesser cost, uh, lesser metabolic cost, lesser mechanical cost. So you can do quite a lot of it probably. And especially considering your high volume, Uh, it's uh, just one more argument for focusing more on LT1 work than you do on threshold and sweet spot work. Also, I would say that this is something that I apply with my athletes that are training at a high volume. Uh, We do emphasize kind of zone three tempo work above sweet spot and threshold work just because the higher intensities, especially when you're training at a high volume, become very costly and uh, you, you just find it difficult to recover well enough so so a lot of lt1 work a lot of zone 3 tempo work would be good good kind of general guidelines for for what to do Uh, but then do only so much that you can keep doing it week after week also i would uh, include at least some work at high torques or low cadences on the bike uh, some hill running on the run so for example i like to give aerobic threshold runs tend to be i give a 90 minute run or a one hour 45 minute run to an athlete and they may, might have 60 minutes or 75 minutes at their estimated aerobic threshold which might be 75 percent of max heart rate and i just tell them to go out and run on a hilly course and that way you can include more of a higher strength and uh, torque component there as well but on the bike it's very easy to control with low cadences of course so so this can be have a benefit for lowering your glycolytic capacity or your VLA max in case it is high, which is one of the possible explanations for what you're experiencing. And it also has the benefit of making your type 2A muscle fibers more resistant to fatigue if that is an issue, which I also mentioned as another possible explanation for why your sort of athletic performance profile is the way it is. And what you want to do then is to basically do only so much zone three and zone four work that you don't accumulate too much fatigue, but you can keep doing it for for week after week after week because uh, it takes time to to establish really these adaptations. So the amount of zone three and zone four work that you're doing may seem way smaller than it should be, but if that's the case, and but you can recover from it and do it week after week, it's okay. It's more important to consistently do that relatively small amount of work than to do too much and uh, and only do it for three or four weeks and then take two easy weeks uh, because you will over the long term you'll get much more benefits that way so this is the main focus of your training but by no means am i saying never go above threshold i think you can and should do a little bit uh, of high intensity work 
basically maintenance to make sure that you're, you don't lose your high VO2 max because you want to keep it. So an example of this is to just add some snacks of VO2 max maintenance. So for example, one way I might prescribe this to my athletes, let's say they have a tempo ride on the bike. I would add before the tempo segment, the main set of the ride, four times one minutes at let's say 120% FTP or and then after the main set another four times one minutes and it can be a one minute recovery so one to one work rest ratio you just get in eight minutes of work at vo2 max it's not not a lot but it's enough for maintenance because you need a lot less for maintenance than for building something in the first place so uh, that's what i would recommend remember start small and build training load gradually if you feel that you can handle the mid zone work the zone three the zone four the aerobic threshold work then you can gradually add that as you're finding that you can handle it well and recover well so i hope this helps and uh, good uh, luck with your training and that's it for today's q a keep sending in questions to michael at scientific and that's Michael with a K. As usual, you can find this Q&A and all previous Q&As on scientifictriathlon.com. And please subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app to not miss future episodes. Tune in on Monday when we're back with another fascinating interview. And uh, this one will be with uh, Dr. Bob Murray on all things glycogen, which is the stored form of carbohydrate in the body. So we do a real deep dive into how glycogen is used in training and racing, as well as how to effectively replenish glycogen and restore glycogen between workouts, which especially for athletes that train at a high volume, may be one of the most challenging aspects of their training regimes and perhaps one of the most underestimated ones as well. When you are at scientifictraffle.com, you can also have a look at our coaching and our training plans, if that's something that interests you. There's plenty of information there that explains all about the process of uh, these services and products, but you can also email me if you have further questions. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a hydration strategy for your training and racing and use the promo code thattriathlonshow15 to get 15% off your order. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off with the promo code that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>